Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, bailing and bailing out. Uh, In today's society, uh, the amount of divorces is phenomenal. Now, there's always been divorce. There's always been uh, places for divorce. It was not that way from the beginning, according to Christ. Uh, God created man, one man, one woman. And uh, that's a natural relationship. And that natural relationship is is, uh, come down to us through the law of nature. It is a a natural uh, use of man and uh, and woman. And the, the, the... unique features of those two separate sects. And uh, it is from where, from that relationship, from where uh, society is born. Society is born out of that relationship. That's where it's created because the new generation comes along and replaces the old generation. So you have that unique uh, relationship and the way in which we address that relationship is going to determine a great deal about the very society that we live in. Today, probably one of the greatest influences on society is the government. And governments are an institution of man. They're not an institution of God. God didn't create government. But he did create man and woman and husband and Wife and father and mother; those are part. Those are natural institutions that are created by the natural function of our biology. And all governments are really based on the law of the father, the patronus, the conscripted patri, where the state becomes the father of the people. And Jesus said, "Call no man father." Now, we've talked about that uh, dozens and dozens of times. We have all kinds of articles about that. It's one of the foundations of Christ's gospel. And it's almost un- completely under uh, underscored or, or, or avoided, uh, understated um, by modern churches. They, they don't have any idea... I mean, of course, the Catholic Church avoids that particular quote by the like the plague because they call their priest father. But it really has nothing to do with calling their priest father. I mean, it, remotely it might, but uh, uh, it has to do with our relationship with government. And at the time that Jesus said it, everybody knew what he meant. Today, when we read that, almost nobody knows what he meant. And it's because the information about the Roman society that would explain, you know, they called all the senators of Rome, patri, father, and uh, they were called the conscripted patris, the conscripted fathers. You, if you addressed a, 
a senator like Cicero, you addressed him, Senator uh, Patri Cicero. Senator actually is from a word that means old man. And at the beginning, it was just old men within the community who were wise and they had good counsel and they came together and they shared information and brought that information back to the Roman communities and the Roman communities decided what they wanted to do. Because originally it was a republic. It morphed into an indirect democracy and then eventually into an imperial despotic power. And of course that's what happens when you move from a republic to a democracy. Where your government takes on the role of Patronus or father. And even if you were to look up in the U.S. codes, you would find parents patria, obey the father, right in the codes themselves, in the Latin, because that principle is still viable today, that the father is the state. And recently I I posted a few things on on Facebook about uh, the fact that uh, the Senate had a a vote on a, a defense bill, and in the defense bill uh, was an, uh, an item where women, young women, 18 years of age, girls, will have to register for the draft. And everybody says, oh, well, it doesn't make any difference. We haven't even used the draft since 1973. Well, that's like saying, yeah, there's earthquakes in California, but there hasn't been any in a long time, so there probably won't be. And the reality is there are earthquakes that occur not only in California, but Oregon and Washington that have, uh, that if they occurred today, millions of people would die. And those earthquakes occurred about 325 years ago. And when you follow the geological history of earthquakes, you, uh, in that area, like the area of Oregon, and actually you can take the earthquake history all the way over to Japan and China, you will find that these major disastrous subduction earthquakes that would kill millions of people and devastate the economies of the whole United States actually occur about every 250 years consistently for the last several thousand years. And so what that would mean is that we're overdue for a subduction type earthquake. This is not the earthquakes you see that, you know, devastated San Francisco and uh, way back in 1906 and and Northridge and and Los Angeles and, and at different times in history. We're talking subduction earthquakes that would devastate the entire economy for the United States and. We're 75 years overdue for one of those. <laughs> but we haven't had one in a long time, so you're probably safe. Well, actually, what that means is you haven't had one in a long time, so you're probably more in danger because it's overdue. It's likely to happen any time. It'll probably happen in the south and move, move its way up. And you will see a lot of tremor earthquakes before it occurs. And it may occur uh, very suddenly... After a long lull period. And a lull in earthquakes might occur if there was a slowdown in the activity on the sun, which normally would trigger earthquakes. And then, so all these things are related. I mean, the sun, you can't get much farther away 
in this solar system than the sun, and you're saying that what happens on the sun affects earthquakes here on the earth? Absolutely. Well, now take this back to that relationship. You think I'm on a tangent, but I'm not. Take that back to that relationship, that natural relationship of husband and wife. If you change some things in that relationship, just minor things in that relationship, it can have a ripple effect that will change all the way through not only that uh, that couple, that husband and wife couple, but all the way through society. And the, that ripple effect can change, you know, it's, it's, it's way more devastating than the butterfly effect. It, 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 can, it can change the whole nature of society. You know, when I go back in my family history, I can go back 400 years and you couldn't find a divorce anywhere in my family history for hundreds of years in several different generational lines. You, you go back that far and you got, you know, maybe a thousand grandparents with the same relationship. So you're going back in numerous different family groups. But... uh Today, there are divorces everywhere. And why is that? Because people bail out of relationships. They don't, and one of the major reasons why they don't need to, the, to struggle to maintain that relationship is because of government. Because of their relationship with government. Go back to that defense bill. The Senate voted to Draft to to compel registration of eight, for 18-year-old girls and up throughout the United States for the draft. Well, maybe, you know, some girls don't want to go in the Army. <laughs> but uh, they could be drafted. But, of course, they'll say, oh, well, you can work at civilian work projects. You don't have to go in the military and carry a gun and shoot and all that kind of stuff. We'll just put you in civilian work projects. And this is something they've been trying to get us used to thinking for a long time. And I have a, a video up that talks about this uh, because, uh, I, you know, I was overwhelmed by the fact that people were listening to uh, uh, a guy, an actor named Basso, who was pretending to be Thomas Paine and was talking about universal service and we have an article up on universal service and he was talking about return to universal service well there never was universal service in the united states so where where is he returning to universal service now, i can tell you there was universal service in egypt when we were in the bondage of egypt <laughs> so he's, he's literally saying if you listen to what he's saying he's saying we're going to return to the bondage of egypt uh, to the bondage of saul you know, where he could take your sons and daughters and turn them to his purposes. That's That was the bondage under Saul, which was a rejection of God. And Basso, this pretend uh, Thomas Paine, was trying to get everybody to return to universal service. To return to that bondage, to that bondage of Egypt, which the Bible says never to return there again. But that's exactly where he wants to go. Now, the reality is you're already there. 
but he's he's just pushing that envelope a little bit farther. I mean, everybody who works in the private sector and gets a job with an employee identification number, a federal employee identification number, which is usually your social security number for Americans. It's almost that way for everybody. I mean, even if you're in the military, now you, you don't get an RA number, you, you know, military number, you use your social security number. There's a fellow named Carmichael who would not use his social security number while he was already in the army. And they insisted that he do it. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it because I consider it the mark of the beast. And they booted him out of the military. He was in the, uh, uh, it wasn't the National Guard, I can't even remember. But anyway, uh, uh, but he was in the military. And uh, they, I guess it was the Navy. Uh, and uh, he took the case all the way up to the Supreme Court and, and he won his case that they didn't have the right to do that. That he was wrongfully fired and they gave him all his back pay. But the reality is is that uh, you know he's been fighting this on a number of different levels but uh, he hasn't been really seeking the kingdom of God and its righteousness. He's just trying to react against what he sees is the mark of the beast. Or at least some people will say the prelude to the mark of the beast. But the reality is it is the mark of the beast. It is your benefactor number. With that number, you can go to the benefactors who exercise authority and get lots of benefits, including pay. Uh, and the reality is, is that if you get a job with that number, part of the day you're going to work without pay. To work without pay is the definition of slavery. At least the definition of servitude. Now, it's voluntary because you went down and got the number and you got the job with the number and all this stuff. And and people who didn't have the number and got a job and were fired were have actually been sued by the government for wrongfully being fired. Because you can't fire a man because he won't get a social security number. You really can't refuse to hire somebody because they don't have a social security number. And if they don't have a social security number, you cannot take out uh, any withholding. Many countries know this. Uh, most of the people in America don't know this. And so the, this, the social security number is the mark of the beast. You have it. If you're using the number, you have the mark of the beast. You're not condemned, and we explain all this in details in our detailed study of the Mark of the Beast, which you can see on numerous websites, that you will be tested. And that test is, are you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or do you really want to bow down and worship this beast nature that takes away from its neighbor, that takes a bite out of its neighbor, to covet that covets its neighbor's goods so that it can have benefits. Now, what what spirit is in you? What what desire is in your heart? Do you want the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but are actually exercising authority? I mean, in other words, they're not giving you anything out of their pocket. They're giving you something out of somebody else's pocket. You know, uh, my son was talking to someone who uh, who thinks that. Social, uh, that, that, you know, um, this socialized medicine is a good thing because they're going to take it from the 1% rich. That's what they're told. They were all told that they're going to take it from the rich. 
over and over again, anybody who studies this with any kind of even superficial study knows that the rich don't pay this for all this stuff. It's the middle class that pays. I mean, even George Carlin, the comedian, told you, you know, the rich don't pay anything. You know, the, the story in England where they were going to finally raise the taxes on all the rich because they were getting away without paying. And so they they had this huge bill that a lot of people complained about that was going to tax the rich, raise their taxes. Uh, the year after the bill was passed, they examined to see how much more the rich paid. They paid less taxes. Even with this huge increase, they just paid less taxes because they have lawyers. They have accountants that figure out, well, how do we get around this? There's always ways around it. It's written into the bills to begin with. Why? Because rich people want it in there. But it looks like you're taxing them heavier. It's the middle class who don't have the lawyers and accountants that are going to pay the bill. And and so, therefore, what happens is your middle class isn't really in the middle anymore. <laughs> it's, it's down on the lower end. It's getting farther and farther down. So that it has less and less to work with. And, and it's pinched between inflation and, and, uh, and less, less payment. Less value being given to them for their labor. Kind of like uh, you could go down and buy a can of fruit. A uh, 16 ounce can of fruit for you know $1.50. Now you can still go down and buy that can for, for $1.50. Except it's not 16 ounces anymore. It's like 14 ounces or 11 ounces. <laughs> but actually, now we've gone so far as it actually costs more. I mean, bread was 10 cents a loaf when I was a kid. Now, what what is it? It's quite a bit more. It's not the bread going up. It's the dollar going down. So anyway, back to this relationship, this natural relationship of man and woman. That used to be the core of society. Your social welfare was in that family unit. Your brothers and uncles and all the family was there for you if you fell on hard times, if you died and somebody needed to take care of your children. The family was there. And then men instituted this thing called altars or congregations where people gathered together to help one another. But in order for it to remain a free society, they helped one another with free will offerings, which is what you see Abraham doing. That's what was put on his altars. That was what was put on his uh, living altars. And that was what was put on the living altars of Moses. They weren't burning up sheep. This was contributions to help out the needy of society in a system of sacrifice called Corbin. But it was always free will offerings. Free will offerings. Free will offerings. Over and over again it says that. We don't see the word charity. We see free will offerings. Sometimes they don't say free will, but they use the same Hebrew word that means free will offering. And you got to choose who you would give, you know, what altar you would set these on, what stones you would recognize as your minister in tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you took care of one another. And that way, the family remained sovereign because the only thing that the priest society had authority over was what you freely chose to give them. And you could choose who you wanted to give it to. 
And that was your votive election. And if you didn't like what he was doing, you could change that. And nobody kicked in your door if you didn't give enough or you didn't give as often as you should. But if society became less charitable, it became more vulnerable. And the members of society became more vulnerable. That was a free society and that is the only way a free society has ever worked. As soon as you give power to someone to take from your neighbor so that you can have a benefit, you're no longer in a free society. Your neighbor is not free from you and you will not be free from your neighbor. That's simple. But it requires that you consistently give, regularly give, work at giving, work at figuring out who is really the best minister to give to. You don't give to one single minister, you give to somebody you know locally. And you give with other people in congregation, in free assemblies, the right to freely assemble. You still have that right. But you're not doing it for practical reason. You're doing it so you can shake your fist at government. Or you're doing it so that you can get your ears tickled on uh, the weekends, on Sabbaths and Sundays. You're not doing it to love your neighbor. That's not why you're gathering together. You're not doing it to save others. You're doing it for selfish motives. So, why do you do it that way? Because you... You've got government. You've got a government that exercises authority. To, so you, you, can, you can leave your kids and your wife and go on welfare. They can get food stamps. You won't feel that guilty. Oh, they, they, they're being taken care of. You can you cannot take care of your parents. Because you know, they got Social Security. They actually you know, go on golf courses and they have great time. You know, and, it, and when they actually need a lot of care, they just, they just go to, you know, some convalescent home and the state pays the difference. And they got Medicare and Medicaid. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to do no more ought for your parents. When your society makes those choices and you go along with those choices, you change society. You Because you change your relationship with one another. You have bailed out of your responsibilities You've bailed out the responsibilities of the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and the mother. You don't have to do that. You gave at the office. You gave to the government. They're taking care of your parents. You don't have to do it. You don't have to sacrifice to do it. You're sacrificing to the gods of the world who will decide what your parents get. You know, when we have hard times in this country, euthanasia will go through the the country like wildfire. Every elderly person will become a useless eater. The government doesn't care. It's not their father or mother. Anybody who doesn't sign on to this take a bite out of your neighbor plan will be cast out. You're not ready to be cast out. You're not prepared for freedom. You're not prepared because you haven't been practicing loving your neighbor as yourself. We'll talk more about this and we'll get into the mechanics of it when we return to Keys of the Kingdom.
Welcome back. Uh, everything's a test. Being born is the beginning of a test. And you grow up. You, uh, your parents raise you maybe. Somebody raises you. You'd die otherwise. I doubt you were raised by a she-wolf in the wilderness, like Romulus and Remus, supposedly. The reality is they were not raised by wolves at all. But uh, those are all symbolic stories telling you what. Who's the wolf? The wolf goes out and tears flesh off of other creatures and and turns that raw meat into milk. And that is Rome. <laughs> the wolf that tears the flesh from other creatures and turns it into milk for the people. Unfortunately, eventually, pickings are slow, and so the wolf tears it from the people as well. <laughs> but that's uh, that's Rome. Now, Rome was originally a republic before it had all this other nonsense about the she-wolf and Romulus and Remus and all that stuff. And it had thrown out the Tarquinian kings in a revolutionary war. They threw out the king. And they established a free republic where the people were free from things public. Libera res publica. And uh, they became one of the most prosperous nations in the world. The Ro Romans were loved almost everywhere. Yeah, they had a few battles, but really there wasn't all this policing of the world. They actually, they would go to a place and they would build a harbor or they'd build a, uh, a small town, uh, maybe a mining town or what have you. They, they, they brought industry. They brought better ways of doing things. They were full of, their army was full of engineers building and making things. And keeping order had a system of laws and justice that was actually pretty good at times. But you got to remember that Rome was, this was 500 years before Christ that it became this republic. And its senate were just old men with great advice. But as time went on, the people looked more and more to the government, to the old men, to become the fathers of the people and to provide for them. And there were a lot of other factors, but we won't go into all that. But the core to Roman success as a republic was the family. Divorce was almost unheard of in Rome. Because it wasn't natural. It was natural to remain husband and wife, to raise your children for the next generation. But as time went on and affluence went on and the state became more of a father to the people, then divorce became more rampant. As a matter of fact, Augustus, who was the first Caesar, first uh, commander-in-chief and president of the nation, Principas Civitas, first citizen, and the first god of the nation, Apotheos, a pointer of gods, a pointer of judges, all of this we explain in great detail. If you don't know what we're saying, you need to do some more homework. He was divorced. <laughs> and that was that was a shocker to the Romans. Because there wasn't a lot of people who were divorced at that time. Now, within the next few hundred years, certainly within the next hundred years, divorce became rampant. And by the fall of Rome, marriage 
the union of man and woman as a natural relationship had almost completely ceased and even legal marriages under the state were rare. And people that were not divorced was rare. It was becoming more and more rare. But amongst those people who did not get divorces, who did not bail out of relationships, who stuck to relationships, who stuck it out, learned to forgive, you found many Christians. Because Christianity was a voluntary society, a free society in which you gave to a minister through a network of charity according to the perfect law of liberty to take care of one another in time of need to provide for the widows and orphans in time of need with no benefactors who exercised authority and this is where the Christian conflict came in Christians were in trouble because the system of Rome had become this mandatory system of Corban where you had to sacrifice to the temples and the temples provided you with free bread. Sometimes free cheese, sometimes free wine, sometimes they just gave you money. And with your welfare token, your EBT token, you could also get into free Colosseums and see the games. So it was the circuses and free bread that had become pervasive throughout Rome. They had their complex system of social welfare run through the temples. But the temples were just government buildings, such as where you registered your birth certificate was the Temple of Saturn. And why did you register your birth there at the Temple of Saturn? So that they would know when and what benefits you were eligible for. And who was your benefactor? The government. Who was your father? The government. And it could take your sons. And eventually it could take your daughters. And they offered you all kinds of benefits, including under some of the emperors that offered universal health care. But the nation was bankrupt. And they began to take the silver and gold out of the coins and made them out of base metals. And even out of clay. You know, fired clay. And you had your tesseras which he used as money. But it was worthless. And so there was inflation. And the cost of bread went up. And what you could buy for a thin dime at one time, silver dime, now took you many tesseras. And to the point where it took 120,000 denarii to buy one sack of wheat. And why did this take place? Because we made little changes. And because people bailed out of their responsibilities. And that's why the reason the world today is in the bondage that it is in. The reason you see, and a lot of people are trying to stop. They see the government moving more and more towards a socialist state. And they want to stop it. And they, want, they want to elect a strong leader to stop this craziness. But they don't realize how crazy they are. Because they just want to stop the momentum of socialism. They don't want to stop socialism. I mean, they still want to send their kids to free schools. 
maybe they have special needs or or you know i i have to i have to send my kids to school because i don't have the time because i have to go and work but the reality is school is socialism public schools is socialism it's welfare for years in this country most kids did not go to public school and most public schools were heavily supported by contributions Today, you completely lost control because you don't fund it, except to men who exercise authority, force the contributions of the people, threaten to take your home away if you don't support the public school. When you used to educate your children yourselves, and if you couldn't afford education, there was somebody who was willing to charitably pay for your child's education. Like I say, Harvard. Nobody was turned away from Harvard who could keep up their grades. It was in their bylaws. You didn't need a student loan. They would pay your tuition if you could not afford it. And you could keep up your grades. But you've made changes in your society. Because of your sloth. Because of your avarice. Because of your wantonness. Because you don't really love your neighbor as yourself. Because you don't really follow Christ. Because you're not really a Christian. You've changed the nature of your society. Little bit by little bit. And those ripples have become big things. And now you want a strong leader like Saul. It's going to solve your problems. But it is only usher in tyranny. And it is a totally a rejection of God. Everybody who wants to elect a strong leader to fix this is rejecting God. That's what the Bible says. You're rejecting God. You're not saved. You're rejecting God. As a matter of fact, you're a worker of iniquity. So what is your solution? Repent. Think differently. That's what repentance means. To change the way you think and realize that if you take a bite out of one another to get your benefits, whether it's health care or public education or somebody to take care of your parents with Social Security. Social Security is bankrupt. There is no money in Social Security. Write that down. If the government doesn't have, if it's operating in the red, Social Security is operating in the red, there can be no division of funds. That's the law. That's been the law from the beginning. I don't care what you want to think. You need to understand the truth. The only way you can get a payment from Social Security is to borrow against the future. Not only of your children, but of other children. And you're perfectly okay with that because you don't really care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And if that is the case, then you are not a Christian. Now, I understand. I don't want to see you starve to death. But what do you want? What are you striving for? What are you seeking are you seeking a free society or a comfortable society? Somebody said that, oh, they, they like HAC because they talk about charity and everything. But right now, I'm interested in becoming free. So I'm reading about this and this and this and this because I want to rebut the presumption so that I can become free. i got to worry about that first. You're doomed. You're absolutely doomed, you selfish pig. You want to save yourself first. You're on the Titanic. And you want to get in a lifeboat and save yourself first. 
And then you will think about other people. That is not Christ. You have need of repentance. You have need to think another way. You know, I tell you in the book Covenants of God, there is no answer in this book. It's a little bit of a lie. But really, I don't intend any answer in the book. I intend you to take a look at the problem. And the problem is you. But way laced down in the middle of the book, it says, Is there any escape from this worldwide trust in which you are a surety for debt? Can you ever return to a lawful title where you actually own yourself, own your land, return every man to his family and every man to his possession, where you own your children again, where your children cannot be conscripted and taken away from you because this, by the state, because the state is the true father of your family? Because, I mean, after all, they educated them. They gave you money so you could raise your children. You know that tax deduction you want for your child? You owe the tax. You owe so many thousands of dollars in tax. But they say, oh, we'll give you a deduction on that if you have a kid. So you register your kid and you get some money back. From what you owe, they give you some money back. You know what that does? That makes your child their child. Because they're financing, it's rearing. They're paying the bill. They get, they're taking what you owe them, and you owe them because you wanted the benefits they offered you, and they're raising your child. They're letting you do it, but they're financing it. And then they give you free education, they give you, you know, WIC programs, and food stamps, and health care. Whose child is it? It belongs to the state. And now the state says, oh, Let's make the children register for the draft. If you don't, they'll spank you, you naughty child. And they know you're their child because they've raised you. They've paid and financed your raising. How are they able to do this? Because they are a wolf, a beast, that goes around devouring what it will. And you say, please bite my neighbor. You know, it doesn't say thou shalt not covet unless your neighbor's really rich and then you can covet his goods. It says thou shalt not covet, period. And of course, like I said, they're not going to take from the rich anyway. They're going to take from the middle class. And you want a strong leader to fix this. Like Saul. I won't mention the current strong leaders that are going to fix it. They all claim they're going to fix it. They're going to liberate you from your responsibilities to fix it. They're promising you liberty from your responsibilities. And they're going to put you in bondage. I go on to say in this one little line, can a mere legal title and an equitable title, because I already explained the difference between legal and equitable titles and how there's a division of a lawful title and all this stuff, and that's created a trust. And I explain that in great detail. And you can download the book for free. You don't have to buy anything from me. I'm giving you the truth. But I can tell you this is the truth, too. If you want to free yourself first, if you want in the lifeboat first, 
you're doomed. You're not coming in the name of Christ. Anyway, can that title, that division title, that divided title be put together and recombined into a good and complete title? Can it be done? And then I go on for a couple pages and explain how it could be done. Now, of course, you have to read the footnotes. And then you have to understand the law. And the law is spiritual. And you will not understand. You will not see it. You will not put it together unless you come in the name of Christ. And you're not coming in the name of Christ if you want to save yourself first. First, I've got to save myself. You don't get it. And you're not going to get it. And you're not going to be free. As a matter of fact, you're failing the test. Now, the test isn't over yet, so maybe you'll turn around and repent. But you have need of repentance. You have been converted to an asset, to a surety for the fathers of the earth. Because you have prayed to the fathers of the earth for benefits. And you have been bound in this system because it operates by debt. That's right. And you can't get out unless you repent and change the way you think and start thinking about your neighbor as much as you think about yourself. Start loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Now, that's a process. To learn that, that's a process. And that's what we offer you. The right to freely assemble and start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And if you want to put that off while you go and get free, you're a fool. Because you will not be free. You've got to turn around and think a different way. Now the technicalities, like I say, they're in the book. They're in other books. They're on our web pages. Explain it all. But you, there's no reason for me to sit here and explain it step by step how a free government works if you don't want to do the work of a free government. I'm not here to set you free from your responsibilities. I'm here to show you what your responsibilities are. You've got to figure that out and apply yourself. You have to strive to enter at the straight gate. You don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. That's why you don't gather together in congregations and choose ministers that will connect your congregation in a charitable way with all other congregations through a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you're not doing that because you have not yet repented. You're still saving yourself, saving your family, saving your buddies in hopes that they'll save you. What's coming is bigger than that. It's bigger than your congregation. And unless you come together... Israel was not down on the shores of the Red Sea as individuals, but as a community. The pillar of fire came between that whole community... And the armies of Pharaoh. There was not a million little whirlwinds of fire standing between them and each 
but one. This is the way God works. If you will not come together in the name of Christ, you will be devoured one by one. And you are devoured in debt and servitude. And it's because you accepted ideas you must now reject. Because you rejected and neglected ideas you must now embrace. And that embracing is that you have to start caring about others. Not just those who love you and can scratch your back. But those who are far away from you. Who cannot scratch their back. Or scratch your back. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. So, but instead, you have set a precedent. Bailed out of relationships. Bailed out of relationships with your family. You didn't stay and help your family. Didn't stay and take care of your parents. You were interested in becoming free. You wanted to get out of the system. Or you just, maybe you wanted to have a good job, make lots of money and and get a real nice apartment and a cute girlfriend or a cute uh, boyfriend and a nice car and all this stuff. And you neglected your parents. So your days, we know your days are not going to be long on the land. <laughs> we know you're doomed. Because you neglected, your resp- you neglected and rejected your responsibilities. So I put out a little page, and I, I'll show you, people do this all the time, ministers. They, they don't really care about those people they say they want to minister to. Because suddenly they bail out, and they do nothing about the people that they were to take care of, or very little. That shows you the spirit that's operating in them. Will they stay up and make sure that things are being taken care of? Will they put in the time? The energy. Christ was staying up in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, sweating blood, but the apostles were all falling asleep. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But when the Spirit is really willing, it will give power to the flesh, and you will be able to stay up and pray. We were to be made fishers of men, and as fishers of men, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same kingdom. Every congregation is a part of every other congregation if it connects itself through a network of free will offerings, charity. And people give regularly. When the heart beats, it does not know what the toe needs, what the fingers need. It beats. It gives blood every day, every moment. It beats. It doesn't wait to beat blood through the the uh, circulatory system of the body when the body has a need. It gives the blood so that the body does not develop a need. So that the flow is always there. Now, who is your father? Is it the state? Is Who's educating your children? Who educated you? Who takes care of your parents? Who's going to take care of you? Who's providing your daily bread? Is it the church? 
established by Christ versus the church established by Constantine, by Nimrod, by Cain's, by Saul's of the world who forced the offerings of the people. As fishermen, we're all in the same boat when, and if you, uh, if it, you look like the boat is going to go down, it's going to sink, you have a choice of bailing or bailing out. You, you can work together to keep everybody afloat, or you can abandon them. What is the pattern of your life? We're going to talk about what you must do to become a free nation when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Have you been bailing out of relationships? Bailing out uh, because a friend became inconvenient. Because a spouse became inconvenient, uncomfortable. You bailed out rather than put the extra time in that would require your humility, your service, your forgiveness. You just bailed out. But now you got another relationship going, you know, and that one will be much better. But you've set a pattern of bailing out. That's like an alcoholic set a pattern of going back and getting a drink. And how does an alcoholic get free from that? How do you get free from the habit of bailing out? And maybe your habit isn't really that bad. Maybe you've only been divorced a couple of times. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe once, maybe. And that's just, that's just one symptom. You, you may do this in a lot of different ways. 
where you don't forgive, it's easier for you to go somewhere else. One of the things about a one-room schoolhouse is you had to get along with the kids that were there. You know, I had a sister who went to the largest high school in the United States, had more kids in the graduating class than any other school in the United States, at least at that time. As a matter of fact, they considered taking an aerial photograph to get the class photo in because there were so many kids, you couldn't get them all in one picture. So many kids graduating that year. They actually went up eventually on a rooftop and took the picture from the roof and they got the whole class in. That's how big it was. Well, in a school like that, you can be a total jerk and still find a friend somewhere. And that's what people do. They're often total jerks. And, uh, or maybe they're just semi-jerks, or partial jerks. <laughs> but the point is, they, they can, if they want a friend, they can find someone somewhere who will put up with them, at least for a while. I mean, do you have a big turnover in friends? You know? Uh, how consistent are you? As an individual. Okay. So, what about this whole thing? You know, we, we just explained in the last show about the fact that the state should not be your father. Because the state operates by force. It's a wolf. It's a beast. It's a lion. It's a bear. Whatever. You know, that's what they always have. You know, an eagle. It, it, it's a predator. It uses power and force to accomplish its goals. Now, originally, when the Americans, or a few Americans, created the United States Constitution, they gave it limited power and limited goals. It was supposed to protect our borders from foreign invasion and a few other things. Now it has a tremendous role in the day-to-day lives of everybody. But it wasn't the Constitution that gave them that power. It's you who gave them that power. The people. The people gave them that power because the people looked to the government more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And so they gave power to the government and we knew power corrupted, but we kept giving it more and more power anyway because we wanted more and more benefits. We wanted more and more security, social security and financial security and and uh, welfare security. And so we gave it more. We wanted free education. We wanted somebody to take care of our parents. And so let the government do it. And we'll just pay into the government. Except for the fact that we gave the power of the government to decide what we were going to pay. And of course, that sort of sacrifice makes the word of God to none effect because the sacrifice you make to take care of the needs of society is no longer a free will sacrifice. It is a compelled sacrifice. It is a collective sacrifice. It is a one-purse sacrifice. It is a golden calf sacrifice where you give your wealth in and then they take care of business so that you would be free from the responsibility of having to do it yourselves. And all I'm saying is you should be doing it yourself. You should be becoming dependent upon one another. At the same time, allow one another the right to choose. Start living by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. And stop living by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Whether it's Obamacare or public education or Social Security for your parents 
or any of those things. Not your parents are not going to give up their social security. Most of them will. And and in this day and age, where everybody is depleted of everything of value, you know, um, it's very hard. I could be collecting social security. I could live like a king if I was collecting social security. But I'm not going to do it because somebody's got to step out and say, no, we can't live that way. We can't be forcing our neighbor. I mean, if there was money in Social Security that I had deposited and it was still there and it was on, you know, in an account for me or something like what a lot of people want to imagine, well, then you know, maybe I could get it back. But that's not how it works. You have to force somebody else to take on a debt to provide you with Social Security today. I can't do that in good conscience. So I can't be a part of that. Even though I paid in. I'm not going to take anything out because everything I paid in is gone. Long gone. Now, I, I don't expect everybody to do that. But that you have to be working towards a society that can do that. Fortunately, I don't play golf. So I can, I can do without golf. <laughs> but... I cannot do without righteousness. I have to do what is right. So, anyway, what do you have to do? You have to repent and start doing what's right. You have to start caring about others. You have to come together with the intention of caring about others. You have to sacrifice, even if it's only a denarii a week, which is like a dime, silver dime a week. You have to be giving on a regular basis, the same as your heart gives you blood on a regular basis. Otherwise, you will not be a part or worthy to be a part of a free nation. You can't cheat on your taxes. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. Jesus is clear about that. Moses was clear about that. And really, Abraham probably said the same thing. He kept going back to Ur, or back to Haran, which was like Ur. It was just Haran instead of Ur, but they, they built another city-state. And called it Haran. But he kept leaving that. He went back and, and went back out to the wilderness. Went back and eventually he left with many souls. And built altars. And those altars were... The stones had to fit together without being hewn. In other words, no regulation. So each stone made its own choices. Everybody chose who they were going to give to. What stone they were going to lay their offering on. Which minister they were going to give their offering to. And that minister got together in a group of ministers so that when they received it, they received it on a common altar and they could choose to share with other congregations. Well, we have a congregation where somebody was injured and had a lot of medical bills. And... Somebody in that congregation, at least one person, there were actually more than that, but mostly it's been one person has contributed to help him, them pay their medical bills and help them negotiate their medical bills and uh, down so they didn't have to pay as much. And the hospitals were were absolutely tickled pink to negotiate them down with the church. So that they could pay the bills up front. And the church was able to do that. Because some few 
people are generous. There's still more to do. But who's going to help you if you're out there so busy trying to be free yourself that you don't have time to care about your neighbor? See, if everybody in the network came together in congregations, hundreds and hundreds of families coming together in congregation, each family giving a little bit each month, each week, and then those ministers that they're giving to were gathered together, they would say, well, here's a need. See, the congregation gets together and they say, well, is there a need amongst our congregation? No. Well, okay, then we won't give anything this week. Because there's no need. But that's thinking congregationally. That's not thinking kingdom. Is there anybody anywhere in the network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, the kingdom of God, that has a need? Well, yeah, there actually is. Well, why don't we give to that? Well, you give to the minister and he chooses to give to the next one and you watch what he does and you're his oversight. And we have other oversight because we watch each other because we are our brother's keeper. We don't do it by force. We do it by because we care. See, but that's that takes so much time and it's so inconvenient. And so why don't we just elect one guy and he takes care of this? Well, that's what everybody's doing. That's what they did with Saul. And what God said, okay, now you're rejecting me because you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. You're now going to be led by somebody else who's going to decide good and evil for you. He's going to take your offering. He's even going to force your offering. He's going to appoint men over you from the top down. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. And we see that taking place. And you're wondering what's going on. It's because you've rejected the ways of God. If you've rejected the ways of God, you've rejected the ways of Christ. Oh, your pastor will tell you you're saved because you thought a thought, but you're not. Because you're not a doer of the word. The doer of the word actually cares about his neighbor as much as himself. And he's gathering together with others to do a daily ministration in faith, hope, and charity. Which is love. According to the perfect law of liberty. Gathering together in congregations that are a part of congregations of congregations. That is a kingdom of people who are seeking righteousness. Now, they won't do it perfectly, but they're at least they know where they're going. And they're going there. Like the prodigal son who's returning to be of service in his father's house. Are you returning to be served in your father's house? Or are you returning to be of service in your father's house? Which is it? Are you giving every week? Every week you give to your minister so that he can provide health, education, and welfare for your neighbor. Now, he doesn't have to start public schools. He doesn't have to build million-dollar churches. He doesn't have to do any of that because you're the church. You're the stones of the church. You're the brick and mortar of the church. You know, we don't need a building. We need people who care about one another. Enough to lay down a part of their life. They don't have to give up their free will choice. They just give up their choice over some thing. Some amount of funds. Some portion that they produce. They give it up for others. And they cast their bread upon the waters. In hopes that it will come back to them when they need help. 
That is so simple idea. But you're not doing it. You're out there reading the Bible and you're coming up with eschatologies and theologies and you're saying you praise God because you sing songs on the weekend and but you're not loving one another. As a matter of fact, most of you are coveting one another's good. You still want free education. You still want free health care. You still want somebody to take care of your parents so you don't have to do it. You know, the, there's all this talk about taking the guns away from the people. and Oh, it says that, that we have guns for our well-regulated militias. So, I mean, that's the army. No, the militia, by definition, in the U.S. codes, the United States militia, not the state militia, just the United States militia, is every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. That's a militia. And the militia shows up with its own gun. And that's every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. And so, yeah, that, that, and to do what? To defend the nation against tyrants and usurpers and uh, marauding bands of terrorists. And so people say, well, why in the world would a citizen need a, a semi-automatic weapon? Because that is that is what a militia is supposed to bring to 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 what he's supposed to bring a pitchfork. He is the defense of the nation, and that is every able-bodied man. It's not every able-bodied man who joins the army. The army is not the militia. It's the citizens. And they can regulate themselves after they arrive with their weapon. If you won't arm yourself to take care of and protect your neighbor, you don't care about your neighbor. You're another one of those selfish pigs. Now, I actually, I don't carry a gun most of the time. I mean, when I go out trying to protect the sheep from coyotes, I might have one with me. But that's because of the controversial nature. But I've I've stepped between uh, threat of death and other people more than once. But uh, this day and age, they're, we're so paranoid. But I have this message that's so contrary to what you are normally hearing in your churches. Because your churches are not His church. They're not what Christ said to do. They're not doing what Christ said to do. They have virtually no daily ministration in 90% of the churches. 99% of the churches. Oh, they have a little token charity, but they don't take care of the widows and orphans. The government does. That's your church. So, what's happened is you've bailed out of your responsibilities. You've abandoned the ways of Christ. And you've been whoring after the ways of Nimrod. Jesus says, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. On a fishing boat, you either fish or cut bait. It's a row-only occupation. Everybody mans the oars. Everybody works. Everybody strives. That's the way it works. The early church, when referred to by Edward Gibbons, they talk about you know, in his decline and fall of the Roman Empire. 
He talks about the early church being this viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. But he also praised its union and discipline. Where did this discipline come from? The ministers telling everybody what they have to do? No, because they can't exercise authority one over the other. Because we were told by Christ you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who do that. But their union and discipline became from love and the perfect law of liberty where they actually cared about one another and they met every week. And those that had, whether it was a lot or little, but whatever they had that they could spare, shared with those who didn't have enough. And they did it in a way that strengthened the poor. It's that simple. We know that the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of these benefactors who exercise authority are the greatest destroyers of liberty. Plutarch said it. Polybius said it. John the Baptist said, you know, take care of one another through charity. Jesus said it. The apostles did it. You're not doing it. You're not, you're not thinking kingdom. We have people who, who say they are kingdom of God and all this kind of stuff and they're ambassadors of the kingdom of God, but they don't gather together and take care of one another. They, they, they gather with their buddies. You know, the guys who can scratch their backs and put them up on pedestals and make them feel good about themselves. But which of them will help somebody they don't even know that is far away from them who will probably never scratch their back? May not even know where the funds came from. Just know that it came through this network of churches. They can't give you credit for what you helped with. Because they don't know you helped. They just know somebody with the character of Christ sacrificed so that they may have life more abundant. You know, we've chosen to help people that we see helping others. And that's what you do because then you strengthen them. They are, They receive confirmation. That their bread came back to them. They cast their bread upon the waters and it came back. And nobody had to help them. They just came back and helped them. So that was confirmation to them. What confirmation will you receive? Because you've bailed out of your responsibilities to God. You were bailed out of your responsibilities to the kingdom. Oh, you may help your buddies. You may even take care of your family. But where's kingdom in that? Where's the righteousness in that? Why in the world would millions of people go down to the shores of the Red Sea not knowing where they were going and suffer the dangers of the wilderness if they hadn't already developed a relationship of taking care of one another during the plagues and famines of Egypt? That's where you're going to find out whether or not you really you don't deserve freedom but God will give you freedom based on grace but if you will not forgive others if you will not give to others because forgiveness always requires giving giving of yourself if you will not do that neither will his father forgive you you will not have a pillar of fire between you and the armies of Pharaoh The ground will not open up and protect you 
You are not walking in the ways of Christ. You are not walking in the ways of Moses. You are not walking in the ways of Abraham. You are not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You just want to be free. That isn't, that isn't where the answer is. That isn't how it works. What bound those early Christians together in that union and discipline that Gibbons talks about? Except the love for one another. And that love was tested regularly, especially during the persecutions. And yet Christianity thrived. They didn't thrive just because they believed a thought. They thrived because they walked a walk. They walked the ways of Christ. They came together to sacrifice for one another, to lay down their life for one another. Most people won't lay down ten bucks a week. Ten bucks a week? What's that? That's that's nothing. You know, I mean, that that's literally like ten cents a week when I was a kid. You wouldn't give ten cents a week on a regular basis? What, how is the blood of Christ flowing in your congregations if you're not giving regularly? Now, you can... You, I don't know what churches... Most of the people listening on the radio show, they probably belong to other churches. What what will your ministers do with the funds that you give them? Go on longer vacations? Build bigger buildings? Get a sound system? Play louder music? What are they going to do with the money you give them? Oh, they'll send some off to Africa to help with some orphanage in Africa? While all the people in their church has to go to benefactors to exercise authority because they're not taking care of one another. They have to sell their children, their sons and daughters, into a draft of servitude, into a debt of uh, a system of debt, to provide you with free education, free care for your elderly, free food for your poor. Because they all have to go to the fathers of the earth. Because your church doesn't really care about what Christ said. Call no man father. Make no man father, no man on earth father to you. Don't expect from the governments of the world the benefaction of men who exercise authority. Start taking care of all the charitable needs of every family in your congregation and the next congregation through faith, hope, and charity. Overwhelming. Impossible. You can't do it. You can start, but you will not be able to succeed. You will absolutely not be able to succeed without a miracle. Without the grace of God. But you will not get the grace of God unless you turn around and start going in that direction, which is what repentance is. You have not yet repented. You say you believe, but you have not yet repented. You're not going in the direction. You're not seeking the direction of the kingdom of God, which is a system that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. That's not the system you're in. Except for maybe an hour on the weekends. And that's just so that you will feel good. You haven't yet repented. 
if you are not trying to establish a daily ministration through faith, hope, and charity. If you're still a socialist, taking a bite out of one another, you have not repented. If you're not seeking that alternative table set by the Lord, by love, then you have not yet repented. And you deserve to be devoured. You deserve to be under tribute. There's no reason why I should explain the following pages on how to escape this bondage if you will not repent and start trying, at least trying, to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And that's just the way it goes. There's no escape from that. I can't, I cannot do, you cannot be set free. If you do not forgive the world for the bondage that has brought you into, forgive yourself for your own greed and lust and wantonness. And turn around and trying to live by love, there's absolutely no reason to try to free you because you will not be free. You will not escape because the law is spiritual. You haven't spiritually repented. And the fact that I have to explain that if you're interested in setting yourself free before you're interested in setting other people free tells me you have not yet accepted Christ. You have not yet accepted the anointing of the character of Jesus, which is Christ, who came to set others free, to save others. Not himself. He didn't come to save himself first and then get around to faith, hope, and charity afterwards. Not the way it works. And so, you need to turn around. Start going back the other way. Start going the way of Christ, which means to freely assemble with the intention of Christ, according to the ways of Christ, according to the Spirit of Christ. That's what you have to do. That is the way that Jesus came to teach. We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, this idea of just bailing out of a situation you find slightly uncomfortable or or the idea that you are going to bail out of your responsibilities, not only to your family, but to all the people of the world. Jesus Christ didn't come just to save a certain congregation. He came to save all, all the people that they might be saved. And that needs to be your motivation. Uh, if you don't get your way, if uh, people don't do it the way you want it done, uh, why are you abandoning everybody? You need to make a commitment to a community of people 
not just to your family, and start caring about that community. And let God sort them out. It's kind of like Joshua or, uh, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out. Love them all, let God sort them out. But that love needs to be a love that strengthens them. And you'll be surprised when you really love like Christ loved, you can clear the room pretty quick of the undesirables. And I've explained this over and over again. Each of us have evil lurking about trying to consume our own hearts, trying to get us to be selfish like it is, trying to get us to exercise authority like it does, trying to get us to take a bite out of one another emotionally, financially. Um, And the reality is that if you have the love of Christ in you, you are not on the menu of evil. But there are chinks in our armor. We are not quite what we should be. And we are not doers of the word, for one thing. We're not taking care of one another. We didn't. We, our churches do not establish daily ministrations. We are more like the modern Christians, that, that which are really like the Pharisees. And we need to repent. We need to think a different way. We need to realize that the... Uh, the temples of the world are the, uh, you know, the, the institutions of the world are the pagan temples of yesterday. That's what those pagan temples were doing. That's why they were pagan. It wasn't because they had a little bit different uh, opinion of God. It was because they did things in a different way. That's what religion is. It's what you do. It's what, how you bind yourself together. And you either bind yourself together with faith, hope, and charity, which allows for freedom of choice, or you bind yourself together with force. In which case, you, as you judge, so shall you be judged. If you think it's okay to force your neighbor so that you can have free education, if you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute so that you don't have to take care of your parents, if you think it's okay to force your neighbor's children and grandchildren to contribute so that you don't have to exercise your responsibilities as a natural man and care about others as much as you care about yourself. You're doomed. This is what brings condemnation. Because when you think that way and you go that way, you are brought into a spiritual under a spiritual law that says, as you judge, so shall you be judged. If you if you want to exercise authority over others, you will have authority exercised over you. And there is no escape from that natural law. I cannot provide for you an escape from that natural law. So, what you have to do is exactly what John the Baptist said, exactly what Jesus says. You have to repent. You have to think a different way. In every aspect of your life, the reason you trying to serve two masters is because you do not want to live by the faith of the Master Christ. You don't want to love one another. You don't want to sacrifice for one another. If people understood all of what I'm saying, they would rush to form congregations. But they say, oh no, no, I'm going to put it off until after I figure out how to be free and rebut the presumption. I'm going to put off loving my neighbor as myself until I get free. Whoa, man, that's not Christ. 
That isn't what Christ came to say. That isn't what Moses said. That isn't what Abraham said. And they actually freed people. You, you, can, you can read all the legal books you want. If you don't get that straight, you got nothing straight. You have to gather together. Now, you, you can gather with us. Or you can go start your own system somewhere. I don't know. All our books are there. It shows you how all this works. So you can go do your own thing. But why aren't you doing it with us? You see, people people want they, they focus on their personal freedom so much that unless everything they do makes them so called freer they don't want to do it. Christ Christ was rich, Christ was free, Christ was separate. I mean, he grew up in Egypt. He he was of the royal line. You know, they went to uh, uh, Bethlehem to get registered. The angel appeared and they fled. So he was idiotis, unregistered. He was separate. And he was showing people how to survive living separate. In a free society where everybody had to care about one. There was no taxes in the kingdom of God. Nobody was going to force you to contribute. No one was going to force you to take care of your neighbor. You had to choose to do it. it I mean, Jesus is pro-choice. Pro-choice people, they're not pro-choice. They want to force you to pay for their abortion. They want to force you to pay for their birth control. They want to force you to pay for their health care. They want to force you to pay for their education. They want to force you to pay for their policemen so that they will be safe in their gay bars. And it, they're not safe. I mean, why? All those people in that gay bar, nobody was armed. <laughs> nobody had a concealed weapons permit. What? What? what why not? It's because I'll, I'll lay you odds that 90% of them were socialists. Probably most of them were Democrats. Now, I don't really care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Most Republicans are socialists. They may want to have a little bit you know, like I say, slow down the progressive move towards socialism. But they don't want to give up public school. They don't want to give up social security. They they don't they don't want to give up, you know, all the other socialist benefits that they they uh, devour on a regular basis. They don't want to give that up. They don't really want to repent and think a different way. They just want to slow down the amount of socialism because they see it growing faster and faster and faster and they you know they don't need health care and I mean the, the modern health care system is a joke. You have people are getting less coverage for more money since this was instituted. It was instituted by the insurance companies. The insurance companies are making a windfall on this deal. You know, I mean it's just ridiculous. They got any time they're going to force you to buy a product, the product is going to decrease in its value. <laughs> it's guaranteed. You know, if you have to buy it, it's going to become. They're not going to put as much work into. They already got it sold. They're not going to put as much work into. You know, competition. You've just got rid of free enterprise and competition. The amazing thing is that you have a whole nation that can't see these basic concepts of society. 
And the reason why is because you've been a socialist nation for a hundred years. You've had a socialist education system since 1910. Since 1910, most people are educated in public education. Before that, that wasn't the case. Since 1910, public education has become more and more funded, not just by state and county governments and and free uh, will offerings, but been almost entirely funded by federal and state and taxes. You know, those benefactors who exercise authority, who force the offerings of the people. You're all a bunch of socialists. You all have need of repentance. You are all taking a bite out of one another in one aspect of your life or another because somebody said you can be free from your responsibilities. Just give us the power to take from your neighbor. We'll only take from the rich neighbors. Reality is they'll only take from you. And that's what's happened. And the poor don't care about you and you don't care about the poor and you don't care about each other. You just care about what you can get. You just want to be free. You just want to be comfortable. You just want, you want, you want, you want. You're full of wantonness, lasciviousness. Now, now that I beat you up, are you ready to repent? Gather together? form a network of people who actually care about one another, who are actually willing to lay down their lives for one another. Maintain the choice of how you do that. You get to choose what minister you want to give to. You get to choose how much you want to give. You get, as a matter of fact, you have to have that choice. If you don't have that choice, you will not grow spiritually. And the spiritual law will not protect you. It will make the word of God to none effect. If you live by offerings and sacrifices that are forced, you have to be given choice. That's why I say I'm pro-choice. I think you should have the right to decide whether or not you're going to pay for your neighbor's abortion. (laughs) I decide not to pay for it. (laughs) But... But that's that's choice. But I do decide to help my neighbor in other ways, that, in ways that strengthen him. I can't I can't get into some of the fascinating conversations that I've had this week because it it invades pastoral confidence. But the reality is is that some people, some people are beginning to find out what it is to to what it means to repent. And seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everyone who is realizing that is giving to somebody. And and when you give to your minister, you are testing your minister. Everything is a test. I said that at the beginning of these two shows. Everything is a test. So when you give to your minister, you're testing him. See what he does with it. Is he going to... Use it for charitable purposes? Is he going to do it for... It's not charity if it doesn't strengthen the individual. You give $500 to an alcoholic, you haven't strengthened them. You probably killed them. You know, or a heroin addict. We had a heroin addict. uh, You know, I, I don't know how much of an addict, but he has had trouble with heroin and he was asking for help. He's not in the network, but somebody in the network knew him. And so... We started offering him help. And he's, he was shocked to find out that there were people out there who actually cared about it. We weren't just going to sit in some private little 
prayer chamber and pray for him were actually willing to help him get clean, get, uh, you know, stay out of jail, keep his job. You know, it's like AA. You know where AA really helps somebody? Yeah, you know, that you get a sponsor and they and you call them up if you feel like you want to take a drink again. But where they really start making a difference, where they really become entrenched in sobriety, is when they become a sponsor for somebody else. When they have to start caring about somebody else and helping keep him sober. That what consummates their sobriety. Not just time. Not just personal investment in yourself. But your investment in somebody else. That's why you go to the meetings. To listen to somebody else. That's the beginning of caring about somebody else. And there is no greater grace that you receive when you care about somebody who you don't even know. Because what got you in this position is the red button principle. Where you didn't care about somebody else and what it was going to cost them. You just wanted your benefit. There is no free lunch. There is no free education. There is no free Social Security. There is no free Medicare. There is no free health care at all. None of it is free. It costs somebody the sweat and blood of their life. You won't know them. You won't meet them. You will not hear their cries and their anguish, etc. But that's why the system is built the way it is. So you don't have to. You just get the benefit. Free education. Free fire departments. Free police. You don't have to be the police. You are the police. You have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. In every aspect of care there is. Protection. Cultivation. Healing. Blessing. I tell you, when that law is written on your heart, I cannot hold you back from the kingdom. I cannot keep you out. You will be sucked in. To the kingdom. And the ways of the kingdom. And the wisdom of the kingdom. And the protection. And the miracles of the kingdom. But you got to turn around. And start going the other direction. You are so far away. Every step you take. Is a big step. Even though it's a little step. And the first step. Is to gather together. You know repent. Enough. Instead of dividing one another. With your greed and wantonness. Start bringing one another together with love, compassion, patience, forgiveness. Do you have it in you? No, you don't. But God will put it in you if you start to walk that way. It's a left step, right step, left step, right step process. So now, if everybody isn't going on the website, looking up network, trying to find a congregation to join... Uh, there's no point. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. If you aren't, 
trying to become a part of a congregation. Start learning what it means to care about not only saints, but sinners. You can't just care about saints. You know, you can't just want a congregation of perfect people. You're not going to get them. And you're not going to be led into them. Are we on? Okay. Yeah, we had some sort of uh, technical glitch there. But anyway, uh, evil is trying to stop us from getting this message out. <laughs> anyway, the uh, this is seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The kingdom of God is a kingdom. It's not a congregation. If you're seeking a congregation of guys who can love you, you're not seeking the kingdom. You're seeking to love others as much as you love yourself. You're not seeking others to love you as much as you love yourself. <laughs> You're seeking to love others. Love is something that comes from inside you and goes out. That's why the kingdom of heaven starts inside you. You have to care about others. This is the law. The reason you're in bondage is because you abandoned that, bailed out of that law. You got away from that law and started caring about yourself. You were born a selfish little milk-sucking baby. Put away the things of a child. Become men and women who care about others. Become like Christ who came to sacrifice himself for others. And then you will have life more abundant. Don't think congregationally. Think kingdom. Don't think about, well, this is becoming inconvenient. Don't worry about humiliations. Humiliation is the opportunity for humility. <laughs> and humility is the end of humiliation. Uh, humbleness is the end of humiliation. Just like forgiveness is the end of conflict. There, it takes two to make a fight. If you forgive, there's no fight. There's no conflict. There's no conflict in you. You see, when you try to judge your neighbor, you think he should do it my way. Then then you come into conflict with God because God is judge, not you. People will enter into your congregations who will not be pure of heart. But it, you, you, it is your job to love them so that they may be set free from the impurities that keep them from the kingdom. And when you start dedicating your life to that, setting others free, you will wake up some morning and you will be free by the grace of God. Because you didn't just love those who loved you. You loved those who God put before you. Love the ones you're with. But get together with others. Gather together. Not just in a local group, but in a local group that is connected with other groups. That's one thing that you know, I, I was actually surprised to find out how many ministers did not quite understand that the main job they have is not... See, we have this idea from the modern Protestant church, or it doesn't have to be Protestant church, Catholic church, Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever. Probably Buddhist. Where you, you, you get your minister as some sort of guru that's going to tell you what to do and how to do it and all this stuff. No. He's to connect you charitably with the rest of the kingdom. With all other people who are seeking the ways of the kingdom and the righteousness of the kingdom. That's his job. 
That's that's what he does. He's not going to connect you with God. He's going to connect you with the rest of the people who are seeking God. And that sacrifice that he makes and the sacrifice you make with him in this mutual endeavor is what draws you near God. That's why the word sacrifice is from the Hebrew word draw near. It draws you in and connects you with the kingdom of heaven, this spiritual kingdom of heaven. And that, again, the law is spiritual. If you want to be free at law, you have to do that first. It doesn't, I don't care who you read, whether you get a Bovier's Law Dictionary or Black's Law Dictionary or the Clark Summary of U.S. American Law or all these things. You think you're in bondage because of the law? You're in bondage because of the spirit that you've been following. And the spirit that you've been following is not one to love your neighbor as yourself. It is the wrong spirit. If the spirit you are following is about setting you free before others are free from you. I mean, we have people who who are trying to figure out how to be free while they're sending their kids to public school. They should be trying to figure out how to not send their kids to public school. And if you get together in congregations, they can help you. we got a symposium coming up on homeschooling, which is really home education. Because it's not a school. Schools are where fish. You know, people always say kids are goats. Well, schools are what fish are in. <laughs> fish are in schools. So, you don't want that. You want to teach your children at home. So that they become your children. And not the children of the fathers of the earth. And what you want to teach them is that you care about one another as much as you care about yourself. But you can't teach your children that until you start to do that. Because they're going to learn from what you do, not from what you say. They're going to see you as you really are. And now those of you who have children that are already grown, you should be helping every family, not just your family, and learning these skills. Those people who have no alternative but Social Security because their children won't take care of them. Or maybe they have no children. And they're in, in the declining years of their life. They should take every ounce of extra energy they have and help other people seek the kingdom. It's not just about talk. It's about that walk. And, and homeschooling, home education, home health. Then you, in these congregations, can help start formulating business and independent Independent business, recession-proof businesses, cataclysmic disaster-proof <laughs> businesses, and and communicate with one another, and so that you create a network that is not dependent upon telephones and internet and everything, which obviously we can see that it can be cut off in a minute, <laughs> in a in a twinkling of an eye, can be cut off. And the fact is, the people seeking the kingdom of God are rare. They are hard to find, like gold. But that's why you have to put more time into it. I need to put more and more of my time into it. I cannot do that without your help. Until then, may peace be upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.